Good morning, and welcome this morning. It's amazing how the conversation tries to drown out everything else. It's, it's, it's kind of like a great paradox. It's all noisy, but it's great conversation and fellowship with each other, and it's great to hear. We're glad you could all be with us this morning. We welcome you as we worship the Lord. A few announcements to get us started this morning. Uh, prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. The uh, tote and walker caddy kits plus instructions are available on the back table for sewing at home. Um, if that seems confusing, there is a so awesome ministry that we have here at the church and they get together to make and sew certain items that we donate and give to certain ministries and there are kits made up um, to serve in this capacity. If you want to take one home, um, I probably won't be doing that. Sorry, but um, they have instructions and everything there on how to put them all together. So if you want to take one home and serve in that capacity, you can pick one up and then just bring it back here. Also, uh, not in the bulletin, we have the pledge cards set up. So those that fill out the pledge cards, uh, again, we won't be mailing them out as we normally do. So they are back on the back table. Please take one uh, if you're wanting to fill that out fill it out and return it into the slot that says, I think it says pledge cards. Um, again, you don't have to put your name on it. This is for the church to do their budget only. So if, you're, if you would, please, if you know what you're going to give, great. If not, guess. I don't know. I don't know. But it's basically for us as a church to set up a budget so we know where we're going to be. So if you could, please uh, fill one out. Are there any other announcements? John, Larry. Karen and I are thankful today to have our sister-in-law, Jeannie Frankenberger from Bluffton, Indiana, and my brother Leon from the Windy City of Chicago. Oh, well, welcome. Welcome, Leon. You're welcome, guys. Oh, well, welcome, guys. Welcome, Greg and Tammy. Yeah, yeah, please be in prayer for Keith and Kay Knapp as their son Jason is working in Jerusalem at this time. Um, his family is leaving the country and coming home, hopefully safely, but he is sticking around. Um, he is helping people in some capacity over there in Jerusalem. So please be in prayer for his safety. That, that place over there is getting really dangerous. So please be in prayer for him as he serves over there. Mark. It was brought to my attention uh, when I was speaking to you a couple weeks ago about mission managing kids dying. And I didn't quite say something correct, and I want to clear that up and clarify in case there's any confusion. I said that since 2015, 1.3 million children have died. I didn't quite get that right. It's actually 1.3 million children every year. Thank you, Mark. Yes, and 
Uh, just a reminder, the um, mission match project that we have, mission that we're set forth, the love offering box is still out there for if you want to give for that uh, mission to support that hospital that they are set up in Ghana um, to um, give care, early, early child care to these young babies that are born over there so that they will get that they will get past that very dangerous stage in life. So, are there any other announcements? Are there any other prayer requests that aren't in the bulletin? Deb. Yeah, please pray for Deb Riddle's son. Good morning. One of the reasons we're gathered together is to sing the praises of God. So let's do that at this time. If you want to use the hymnal, it's 271 that we'll begin on. It'll also be on the screen above me here. Let's stand as we sing together this morning. Jesus shall reign. We'll begin with that, and then we'll go across the page to crown him with many crowns. shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run his kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall Jesus is king. Amen. King of every nation. King of every land. He's king of America. And he's king of Israel. And he's king of the Islamic nations. Amen. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And our next song across the page, 272, continues this theme in our hearts today. Let us crown him with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. On the third verse. 
crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those who came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of wonderful singing. Let's go to that song, number 12 in the white book. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Let's sing this together this morning. Before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and Perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased with his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high. Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. I bow before the cross of Christ, I marvel at this love divine, God's perfect Son was sacrificed, Make me righteous in God's eyes. This river's depths I cannot know, but I can glory in its flood. The Lord Most High has bowed down low and poured on me his glorious love, and poured on me his glorious do you believe that this morning? 
Amen. Let's end our song service today with that chorus. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. I think we all know this by heart. It's on the screen, the words. Let's sing it two times through. It may be the prayer of our heart as we go into the sermon here in a moment. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him. And say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to Thank you, and please be seated this morning. I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. I was informed a little while ago that Dwayne Feller passed away. Um, I know some of you remember June and Betty and uh, his sisters, uh, uh, Danita Kluver and Debbie Munsterman, uh, Diane Verkler. So we want to keep uh, keep that family in our prayers. <clears throat> uh, would you join me in prayer? 
Thank you, Lord, that we can come here this morning. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We want to continue to pray for Israel. We pray for the safety of everyone there. We, we pray for the hostages. Uh, we also want to pray for Jason Knapp and, and for his staff. Uh, pray... Uh, especially for them, that uh, you, would, you would keep them safe. And um, we just, uh, we know that they're your chosen people and ask that you would uh, have control of this situation. We, we want to pray for for the family of Dwayne Feller. Pray that you would uh, be with them uh, at this difficult time. Uh, we also want to pray for, for Deb's son and, and just pray that you would um, be in control of this situation. We, we want to thank you uh, Thank you that uh, Paul can be here this morning again and ask that you would uh, bless his message and just thank you and pray that you would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If I may uh, be so bold, uh, three things I'd like to uh, commend you on. One is how you sing. Um, but since my retirement, in, uh, at the end of June, Connie and I have uh, spent quite a bit of time visiting churches, speaking at some, just going to others, and singing is becoming a lost art. So I commend you for your singing. I commend you, secondly, for your friendliness. Uh, we went to a particular church um, uh, three times, I think, and the third time I was being, I, I tend to be a little snarky, the third time I positioned myself at the entrance door to the worship center because the church had bragged about how friendly they were, and uh, not one person greeted us. I sat behind the associate pastor whose ministry was to take care of that uh, with the hope that somehow, some way short of collapsing in a heap, uh, feigning a heart attack, he would acknowledge my existence. He did not. You have been so friendly, and I commend you. The third thing uh, may seem like a small thing. It is not, and that is how clean your building is. Uh, to come into a church building that people take such good care of, both inside and outside, I commend you very much for those things. They are not small things, all done to the glory of God. The church I pastored for 28 years, we had a Wednesday evening program and invited the children of the community to come and... Um, we decided that it would be a good thing if we fed them. Uh, we were beginning to hear things about some of the home situations these children were coming from and uh, thought that we could minister to them in a very tangible way by offering them a free meal um, to them and to their families. We started delivering some of those meals to people. One Wednesday evening, uh, we had, I don't know, half a dozen people that volunteered to do the cooking for that. One of the cooks had posted on Tuesday evening that their child had the stomach flu. This person was also our custodian. Uh, came in on Wednesday, late on the day, Wednesday, when she was there, and I was a little like, I don't know if you should be, I try to be tactful about it, if you should be cooking food for 
these children, she said, it's my child that's sick, not me. Fair enough. We had the meal that evening, and uh, the following morning, early in the morning, I get a text from my children's ministry coordinator, who's in charge of all of that, and she said, I'm not coming in today, I'm sick. Got the stomach flu. Okay. Wasn't long after that, the custodian called and said, Paul, I'm not going to make it in today to clean the church. I've got the stomach flu. A little while later, two cooks call me up. Just giving you a heads up, Paul, we're sick, and it may have come from the church. Well, by this time, as you can imagine, my mind is just spinning, and my administrative assistant says, the elementary principal's on the phone for you. I said, Justin, what's up, brother? And he said, I'm just giving you a heads up that there's been an outbreak of the stomach flu, and it looks like the epicenter is the meal at the church. I'm in full-blown panic mode. I, I, I'm, I'm telling Bonnie, uh, get our lawyer on the phone. I need to ask him, <laughs> what kind of defense do we mount? How do we deal with this? How do I get a hold of these parents? What kind of public apology do I need to make? I'm going to kill that custodian that I knew shouldn't have come and, uh, and done all that cooking. And suddenly, there was a parade of people in my office. The custodian, the children's ministry coordinator, the, the elementary principal came by, and it was all a joke on me. <laughs> knowing my temperament, knowing what I was like, they knew, they knew they would get me, and they got me good. You never could get Jesus. Mark chapter 2, turn there if you would, please. Mark chapter number 2, Jesus is with a group of people, and uh, it becomes evident from the text that he knew just what they were thinking. He knew exactly what they were plotting. He knew exactly the state of their hearts. And from that experience, from that understanding, Jesus and Mark, in recording this story, reveals something of himself. And in particular, I want us to think about his authority. And we'll talk about what that authority is, but we want to think about the authority of Jesus and how it's on display in Mark chapter number 2, and especially in connection with how he relates with these three different groups of people. And, and then we want to think about that authority and how it demonstrates itself in your life, how it demonstrated itself in your life last Thursday in the Combine and Friday morning when you were at school and Saturday when you were with your children. I asked myself the question, how did it demonstrate itself in my life Saturday morning when my wife plugged up the sink because of the garbage disposal and it's a sore subject with me already? And how did the authority of Jesus demonstrate itself? How does Jesus rule and reign? We, we've sung these glorious songs and you sung them gloriously about the rule of Jesus and it's wonderful for you to do that, but where's the reality of it in your life and in mine? What is it, the demonstration of it like? What is Jesus' authority like in our lives? We see the authority of Jesus and how it interacts with the lives of at least three groups here in Mark chapter number 2. We'll begin in verse 1, but let me read the very end of chapter 1. You know as well as I do these chapter divisions and verse divisions didn't exist in the scripture when it was written. They were simply used to help us navigate 
especially in the public reading of the scripture where we could find text together. And so it's a little bit of a issue that there are these chapter breaks. But chapter one ends and Jesus went out and began to talk freely, or the man he had healed went out and began to talk freely about it, spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but it was out in desolate places, places like Cisna Park. <laughs> Sorry. And people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, if you looked at a map of Israel, you know this. There's the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And Capernaum's up on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful place. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came. They came. Bringing to him a paralytic, uh, I think five times, that's what this man, he's never named. He's never named. He's just known as the paralytic. Bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Jesus because the crowd, they removed the roof, the flat roof, the thatched, mudded, flat roof that was on most of these houses on the north end of Galilee. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, thinking, why does this man speak like this? This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Correct conclusion, actually. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. It is a provocative question. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to this paralytic and says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately, Mark loves that word, immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all, said that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never saw, we never saw anything like this. This is a unique time in the life of Jesus. There's this period of time in which Jesus is intensely popular. Crowds followed him wherever he went, so much so that there were those occasions where Jesus would get alone by himself just to escape the press of the people. Sometimes so busy he was that he did not take the time to eat. His family thought that he had gone mad at one time. That's what they accused him of. His crowds would just press and press, and Jesus would get in boats, and Jesus would get up early in the morning while it was yet dark to spend time with his father. So there is this period of time that Mark discusses of intense popularity. People, people can be fickle, though. Jesus knew that. John talks about how he wouldn't commit himself because he knew these, what was in people's hearts. And Jesus knew that the same crowd that was following him and pressing in upon him would one day... At least many of them cry out for his crucifixion. John records how when he really began to press in on them, the call to discipleship, a lot of them went away. But at this point in time, in the life of the ministry of Jesus, everybody wants to hear him. Everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus at this point. 
He moves forward in life, Mark records, with great purpose. That's one of the reasons Mark loves the word immediately. His book has this sense of in, intensity. And again, I would encourage you to read it. I sat down and read Mark yesterday. It took me about an hour and a half. Read the whole thing in one sitting. It's an amazing experience. And it's, it's a bit of exhausting because there's this immediately, immediately that Jesus is moving. He is, he is not just aimlessly wandering the streets. He is living his life with purpose, and that purpose drives him. And it's all connected with his calling and his coming as the king and his knowing that as the king, he's going to give his life. He's going to uh, live with purpose. And he's not going to be diverted from that purpose. <laughs> as often as sometimes his own disciples would try to distract him, even prevent him from that purpose. <laughs> Peter, Peter tries to interject himself and tell Jesus what to do. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bold move on Peter's part to think that he knows better than Jesus. <laughs> it's a bold move. But Jesus won't be distracted. Jesus won't be diverted. And Mark records how he marches with purpose. Then there's this sense of power. There are these stories like a train, you know, the aggravating thing about living in Gibson City uh, is how often the town is bisected by trains, especially this time of year. And for some reason, they stop, they move up, they move back. We do the train dance, back and forth, and back and forth. Well, Jesus is moving with this authority. He won't be diverted, and he speaks with purpose and power. He has come preaching the kingdom, and as king of the kingdom, he speaks with authority. He is Savior, He is Lord, He is King, but what a King He is, we'll see that. But he, he comes, and even the religious leaders recognize, man, He speaks as one having authority. The people recognize it. He's, he's got authority. The religious leaders recognize it. They don't agree with it. They rebel against it. It's His power. It's His authority. How do people respond to that? Uh, ultimately, he will be crucified for it. Jesus knew that the reason they crucified him was out of envy. That's what the Bible says. Envy, what an ugly word, envy. They envied him. They envied his popularity. They envied his position. They envied his authority. So they killed him. Well, here we have this ministry tour that's exhausting, no doubt. Jesus is spending his time speaking, and speaking is tiring. In my first church where I was for 10 years, I used to have a man, and it just drove me crazy. Almost every Sunday when he would leave the church, he'd ask to see my palm. And he'd look at my palm, and he'd go, wow, no calluses. I wish I had a job that I didn't have to work at like you do. Jesus is no doubt weary from the speaking and the ministry and the service. He comes to this place called home and the crowd shows up and the people show up and there's this amazing story that Mark records for us. I wish you didn't know the story. I wish you hadn't read the story. I wish you hadn't heard the story because some of the impact is lost because you, you're familiar with it. But it is this amazing story of Jesus, the crowd, the scribes, the friends, the paralytic, and of course, Jesus' own disciples. I want to look at just three of those folks and the authority of Jesus. First is the they because I want you to be the they. I want you to be the they. So if you take anything out, anything, you know, if you're thinking about lunch, if you're thinking about tomorrow, is it going to be dry enough to get back in the field? If you're thinking about, should I apply for that college or this? Stop all of that just for a second, and I want you to think about, I want you to be the they. That's what the Bible's calling you to be. The they. 
There are these four individuals. They are unnamed, but they, this day, that are mentioned here in the Bible, this anonymous group, today they would have been uh, videoed and put on TikTok or, or Facebook or... But in this day, this day were anonymous, and they come and they bring this friend. They bring this friend to Jesus. What a glorious, wonderful, loving, gracious thing to be that kind of friend. To know that this person's life is a miserable existence. Thank you, Jesus, for modern health care. People say, wouldn't you want to live in the time of Jesus? No, thank you. I like it right now. When my tooth aches, I go to the dentist. When my back aches, I go to the doctor. I like modern drugs. I like modern uh, way of doing things. This poor man is living a terrible life, a terrible life. If you can imagine being paralyzed in this day, but he's got these four Friends, what a gift from God to him. Friendship is a gift. Augustine wrote, My greatest comfort and relief is the consolation of friends. If you don't have friends, ask the Lord for friends. If you don't have friends, seek to be a friend. Seek to serve others. Seek to give your life to others. Seek to be an encouragement. I was early in my pastorate, and I prayed, Jesus, I need a friend. You say, wasn't your wife your friend? Absolutely, 100%. My very best friend still is, by far. But I needed somebody that I could unburden my soul to at times. I didn't just want to dump my bucket always on Connie. I wanted somebody to help me be accountable for things. And Connie and I are at a conference in Fort Collins, Colorado, and across the aisle of a bus, I hear somebody go, hey, I know you. A guy who I'd gone to seminary with, and we've been the best friends for 35 years now. We go on vacation together. We just got back from Yellowstone. We'd always wanted to go to Yellowstone, so we said, we're going to do it. We're both retired now. Let's go. So God answered that prayer. Oh, what a blessing. What a gift these fellows, these four men are to this paralyzed person. To love others. And Jesus says, when he saw these men, I think Jesus was pleased. Because you can imagine it caused quite a ruckus. He's pleased. He's honored. And Jesus looks and he saw it doesn't say, the text doesn't say his faith, the faith of the paralytic, his faith was probably involved. But what does the text say? He saw their faith. They couldn't get near him. They, they tore open. And in verse number five, when Jesus saw their faith. We know the text. Faith without works is dead. Faith manifests itself in the way we live. You say you have faith, but have not works. James says, show me your works, and then I'll show you your faith. Faith is transforming. True trust in Jesus changes the way we live. And so these fellows said, we've got to get this guy to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes to do that. They did this thing, and Jesus honors their faith. Faith is a funny thing. I see people who say, well, if you have faith, bad things don't happen. Or if you have faith, you can do anything and heal anyone. And I see all of that foreign to the text of Scripture. I've even had people say, well, if you have faith, you never have doubt. Well, tell that to John the Baptist. What's one of the last things John the Baptist does? He's in prison. What's he do? Sends word to whom? Jesus and says what? Are you the one? Wait a minute, John. Weren't you the guy that was standing saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the... Absolutely. 
So all of us who walk with Jesus, we do our high school students, our college students, a grave disservice if we say to them, never doubt, never doubt. We all have questions. If you don't have some questions about the death of children at the hands of individuals barbarically, then you're not thinking about it very clearly. And so we, uh, we come and we have doubts. When it says they had faith, it doesn't mean that they didn't have questions or doubts, but they come and they yield to the authority of Jesus. They come and they submit to the authority of Jesus. They're like the man that showed up to Jesus and he wants Jesus to come and heal his servant. And the centurion says, Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And the centurion says what? There is no need for you to go because I am a man of authority. I know how this works. And Jesus says, I love your faith. And so they come to the authority of Jesus and they simply yield to it. If we are going to come to know Christ as our Savior and our Lord, if we're going to come and know his king and enter his kingdom, we're going to have to yield to his authority. We're going to have to yield to his authority to forgive sins, his authority to rule and reign in our lives. It doesn't mean perfectly. It doesn't mean completely. There's always growth in that reality. But we come and we yield to the authority of Christ. The scribes are the second group. It's see Jesus, and they're described in Mark 12. Jesus takes them to task. They're very important people in the day. They were people of the word. They knew the Old Testament. They interpreted the Old Testament. How they interpreted the Bible was binding on the people, but yet there was the reality of what they knew never transforming the way they live, and Jesus points out their hypocrisy, and Jesus points out their rejection, and when it comes to them, they look at Jesus, and they get the right Conclusion, but they apply it in the wrong way. They say only God can forgive sins. That is absolutely true, but they misinterpret who Jesus is. They reject who Jesus is. They do not yield to his authority, and people can still reject the authority of Jesus. They can still say, no way. I'm not going to yield to him. People do it every day. Reject the authority of Jesus. One day, you interpret what the text means. One day, the scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But for now, we live in a world in which people can rebel against that authority. And the tragedy, the tragedy is that people here are so close, but yet so far away. And I hear people say, well, if I lived then, I would have recognized, uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe. The third thing about this authority, and just quickly, is Jesus and his own authority. I love the fact that Jesus so often surprises us. And I guarantee you, when these guys put this man in front of Jesus and saw Jesus looking at this man, and this man looking up at Jesus, he's laying there on his bed, imagine it. Jesus looking at him, he's looking at Jesus. They have brought him there to get healed. And Jesus looks at him and he says, son, in a term of great compassion, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not why we brought him. That's, 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 that's nice. But that's not why we brought him. That's not why we dug this hole. That's not why we let him down. That's, that's not what this is about. Don't you see? Don't you understand the need of this man? And Jesus understands the need of the man perfectly. He understands that this man needs a right relationship with the God who created him. He understands this man's need. Now, was his was his. Paralysis connected with his sin. That was the, you know, the assumption, the blind guy. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And there's, and I say this carefully, there's, there's a sense in which all of that suffering is connected with sin in some way. But did this man perform some sin and it paralyzed him? We don't know. The text doesn't say that. Could be very well that it did not happen. 
But Jesus knows that ultimately, finally, what he really needs is a Savior. Uh, We want Jesus to fix everything. We want Jesus to fix our dating problems. We want Jesus to fix our money problems. We want Jesus to fix our self-esteem problems. We want Jesus to fix our confusion. What am I supposed to do? Should I farm or should I go to college? We want Jesus to, to drop down notes. All of those are worthy things to bring to Jesus and ask him for his wisdom on. But Jesus is not simply the fix-it man. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And what we really need from him is the gift of a right relationship with the God who created us. And so when he looks at this paralyzed man, Jesus offers him the only thing that Jesus himself can offer him, which is forgiveness for his sins. That's the need that this man had. Now, Jesus knew that only he could do that, and he knew the scribes, and they got upset, and they began asking all these questions, and Jesus asked this provocative question, which is easier? Well, which is easier? We could say it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's non, in some ways, non-demonstrable. Anybody could say that. They could say your sins are forgiven and nobody can tangibly see that reality. But is that the easier thing? Because Jesus knew that In order to do that, first of all, he had to be the one to forgive, right? I I can't forgive if my one of my children offend their mother, my wife, I can't say to the kid, Lydia, I forgive you. That's not my water to carry. Connie's got to deal with that. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's obviously Stating to the man, the sin that you commit is offense to me. <laughs> Who did David say he had sinned against? You know, Bathsheba he sinned against. She sinned against him. He sinned against her. For my money, the worst part of that whole story, yes, the adultery is horrible. But the worst part of that story is the way he treats her husband. He might as well have picked up a 357 and put it to the man and shot him himself. He murdered that man. And when he comes, and he acknowledged, he knows he sinned against Uriah and he sinned against Bathsheba. But against you, Lord, against you, I have sinned. Sin is not just against other people. Sin is against the holiness and righteousness of God. Jesus says, I can forgive you, but it's not an easy offer of forgiveness because Jesus knows in order for him to ultimately and finally forgive that man his sins, it's going to require of him that he finish the race that he has begun to run, and that's going to end up on a Roman cross. He's going to have to die. It's not an easy thing to say, I forgive you. He should have taken a course on evangelism. Jesus should have. We could have taught him some things because (laughs) he didn't make the guy say the right words. But nevertheless, he offers him his forgiveness and Jesus heals his body. Get up. Mark uses the same word for rise that he's going to use for the resurrection of Jesus. Interesting. Get up. Rise up. Now, we in evangelical circles, and I would assume most of you are in that circle, we tend to downplay the physical side of things. We say, we're going to go. When I grew up Southern Baptist in the woods of Louisiana, and uh, the way this worked in Louisiana is we would gather Uh, outside the church to go soul winning so we'd all gather have a good smoke uh, because you know when you're together with the brothers and the sisters the deacons everybody has a smoke Uh, my dad loved cool cigarettes k-o-o-l he'd have a cool menthol cigarette before he went soul winning 
We're going to go win souls. Well, okay, I understand that language, but there is, I hope you understand, I hope you grasp the physicality of salvation because if you don't believe in the physicality of salvation, you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> what did Jesus do after he got resurrected? They were all believed he was just a soul too until he did what? He ate with them. Touch me. So there's a, there's a physical side to this whole thing. There's a physical side to the rule and reign of Christ. It's absolutely true. He doesn't just save our souls. He's not just interested in our souls. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's concerned about physical things. You say, shouldn't missionaries only do evangelism? Well, you could say that, I guess. There's a sense in which but missionaries should also feed people. Missionaries should also help heal people. Missionaries should also see that people have shelter. Those are all important things as well. Jesus knows that, and he heals this man. But what's amazing about all of this, what's amazing about all of this is the grace of Jesus and the way he yields and wields his authority. Honestly, I believe Jesus is easier to get along with than most of you are. <laughs> and I include myself in that. I believe Jesus... You say, don't you think he's Lord and King and holy and righteous and judge? Amen. All of that. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that Jesus is looking out on people with compassion. I think, he, I think if grace, to be quite honest, I think if grace doesn't offend you a little bit, then you don't understand grace. Because there are people we simply don't want to see come to faith in Christ. There are people we even think are beyond the grace of God. But I think Jesus is more gracious and responsive to people's needs and their, their hunger and their thirst. It doesn't take much for Jesus. For some of us, it takes a lot. But Jesus looks for and he pours out. Paul in Romans says he pours out. He pours and Paul uses the word that he pours and it, it fills up his love and it starts overflowing and he just pours and he pours and he pours. If you're tight-fisted, if I'm tight-fisted, we didn't get that from Jesus. We had a women's event and uh, centerpieces were apples with candles in them. It was kind of cute. And um, the cores, they had a coring thing. I don't know what that is. But they took the cores out with some, I guess it was like a miracle, the cores out of the apples. And they gathered all those cores, there were a lot of them, and they put them in a uh, garbage can. And then they took the apples after the women's event that had those candles in all this wax, and they threw those away. And we had a lady in the church have a heart attack saying, give me those apples, I, that's a waste. Fred and Barb Yergler know this dear lady. We just had lunch with them, and she can be just a little tight. <laughs> we ran out of potatoes one time, and I said to her, I'll call her Mary. Mary, how can we run out of potatoes? Potatoes, how much do potatoes cost? Jesus is not tight with his grace. He's not tight with his mercy. He looks on this man and his heart is moved with compassion, would to the Lord that we would have the same way of looking at the world in which we live. And Jesus takes his authority, the, the authority as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he takes his robe and he sits it aside and he washes your feet with his grace and his mercy. That's kind of the way he handles his authority. You had a, um, I looked at your bulletin, I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm going to quit. You quote A.W. Tozer, I like A.W. Tozer, in fact, I just, I just picked up a book, I've got a bunch of books, I've got tons of books by Tozer, and I just picked up a book, I'm using it for my 
my devotional time. See, I use that illustration to tell you what a spiritual man I am, that I have a devotional time with A.W. Tozer. I'm going to read you a quote from A.W. Tozer. From a failure to properly understand, it's kind of long, but just bear with me. From a failure to properly understand God comes a world of unhappiness among good Christians today. The Christian life is thought to be glum, an unrelieved, cross-carrying act of living under the eye of a stern father who expects much more from us than we can give and excuses nothing. This father's austere, he's peevish, he's temperamental, he is extremely hard to please. The kind of life which springs out of such notions must but be a parody of the true life we have in Christ. It is most important to our spiritual warfare that we hold in our minds a right conception of who God is. If we think of him as cold and exacting, we will find it impossible to love him. Our lives will be riddled with servile fear. The truth is God is the most winsome of all beings and his service one of the most unspeakable pleasures. He is loving. Those who trust him need never know anything but that love. He loves us. He always loves us. He is just indeed, and he will not condone sin, but through the blood of the everlasting covenant is able to act toward us exactly as if we have never sinned. We're clothed in Christ toward the trusting sons of men. His mercy always triumphs over justice. The fellowship of God is delightful beyond all telling. He communes with his redeemed ones in an easy, uninhibited fellowship that is restful and healing to our souls. Take my yoke upon you. You will find rest. He's not highly sensitive or selfish or temperamental. What he is today, we shall find him to be tomorrow and the next day and the next year. He is not hard to please, though he may be hard to satisfy. He expects of us only what he himself has first supplied us. Faithful is he who has called you, who also will do it. Jesus demonstrated his authority over demons and death and sin and sickness but yet that authority was wielded with grace and mercy and a willingness to forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus is indeed Lord and King. We've sung about that. We've read about that. And it is absolutely true there's a day of reckoning coming for all men. But we face that day not in pride. We face it, though, in joy, knowing what it's like to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what it's like to be the prodigal son whose father runs to meet him and envelops him in grace and forgiveness, and that Jesus used his authority as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to die on a cross and to raise from the dead. And, and when he died, he took all of our sins, all of our lust our theft, our envy of fellow farmers, our covetousness over the neighbor's nicest house, our envy over someone's promotion at work, our gossip. He took all of that. He took all of that. He cleansed us from us. All our sin, all of our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his authority to do so. Thank you that he can speak to that sin, remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that we look at the world, it seems like it's totally out of control, stumbling down the hole. We don't know what the next day is going to bring. Safety is a mirage. We don't know what safety truly is except to trust in you and believe that you are indeed the Lord and the King. And one day, people from every tribe and nation and tongue We'll gather around the throne through the blood of Christ and praise and rejoice 
in your greatness and your grace. Until that day, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray that you would call us to yourself and use us, use us as you would choose to do so. May we yield to your authority so we can be the they used in the lives of people, maybe never aware of it, but used nonetheless till you come. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's take our hymnal or stand and look at the screen and sing together just two verses of Rise Up, O Church of God, 724 in the hymn book, if you want to use that, the first and the last verse. Think on these words as we think on the sermon we just heard. 724, Rise Up, O Church of God. Rise up, O Church of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of kings. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod. Thank you for the wonderful service today. May we take this wonderful gospel with us as we go out these doors. And uh, Lord, may we rise up as the church of God to serve the King of Kings. Thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.